today we have the superb Josh Saliva. Thank you for taking the time with me today. Pleasure, no worries. So, just give a quick rack up. What are you doing right now? What, what's your position? Um, yeah, so I opened up my own business about six months ago now, yeah. so late last year. Um, I was working for a firm for about, it's about five years. So I've been in the industry for about 10 years altogether. Um, yeah. So yeah, I opened up the doors to my own thing and yeah, just having a crack and seeing what's happening. That's amazing. What were you doing before this role? Um, so, well, I was always in, so I've been in sales for five years now. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, I was in property management. Um, that was at a different company or a different area, actually, yeah. out in Parramatta. Um, and then I moved into Thornley, uh, yeah. going back about, I think it was about seven years ago now, yeah. eight years ago. Um, moved into a sales assistant role. Yeah. I did that for a year and then just broke out and just wanted to sort of do my own thing as a standalone agent within yeah. that brand. What, what made you jump for, how many years were you doing property management for? Uh, I think it's about two or three years. Two, three yeah, years. I, was, I was in yeah. leasing yeah, and then the opportunity came up to either move to property management or go to sales and yeah. I never really liked property management so yeah. I just moved straight into sales and then yeah. What made you take that jump? Because it's pretty much a gamble for sales um, from assistant even to a standalone agent as well. What made you take that for you. <laughs> um, I've never really been asked that question. I don't know. It was just natural instinct yeah. just to, um, like I felt like I learned what I needed to learn under the person that I was working with. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, I still learned a lot from that person and we're still very good friends now. Mm. Um, but I just wanted to grow my career. I wanted to be a sales agent essentially. Uh, and I knew if I needed, wanted to do that, I needed to get in front of more people. And I essentially just probably wanted to create my own brand. Yeah. Um, and I've always just been a sort of person that rolls the dice, has a crack and yeah, like just sees it, sees what happens. That's a good gamble. Cause I know most people, they don't take that gamble themselves. What made you start your own agency as well? Cause you could have worked with any other agency or with a boutique brand or just yeah. as a sales agent. Yeah. Well, it wasn't an easy decision. Um, you know, I was going back and forth really with myself thinking about how to plan the whole thing and I did that over a couple of years but yeah. um, my family all run their own businesses so my sister started her own business when she was about 18 years old yeah. um, so she's been you know an inspiration for me you know my dad has run his own businesses he's um, in his early uh, mid 50s now and he, he started his own he started his own business quite recently and yeah. people typically taper off at that point they're usually going into retirement doing all that but mm. he sort of leveled up opened up his business and that, that's um, flourishing off the back of that so I think it's just been ingrained in me to, to do my own thing um, I, you know I spoke to all the franchises mm. and I went out and did things like this and had mm. conversations with other business owners and other agents and just gathered all the information um, built a business plan, built a budget, all those sorts of things. Yeah. And then, yeah, just one day just woke up and I was like, enough's enough, I just want to do it. So it's made it happen. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I also noticed your family, man. How do, you, how do you balance that lifestyle with work? <laughs> There's no real balance, man, to be honest with yeah. you. Uh, so I've got an eight-month-old now. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I'm out of the house before he's awake. Mm. Um, and I'm typically getting home at sort of 7.30 and getting to spend sort of an hour, hour and a half with him at nights. Mm. Uh, I do my best to try and take Fridays off or at least do a half day on a Friday. Yeah. And then I'll only come in on Sunday for half a day as well, so I'll spend some time with him then. But for me, it was quality over quantity. Mm. So I think a lot of people are at home with family, but they're on their phones mm. and they're very distracted Definitely. still by business. But for me, when I get home, I commit to be with my family. So phone goes on silent, stays in the room. 
sure uh, do not disturb on the watch and it, like all those sorts of things to completely commit myself to being with my family uh, it's changed a little bit with the business opening up and I've sort of gone back to whilst I'm at home I may need to take a couple of calls and I may need to do a few bits and pieces but unless it's completely urgent um, I trust my team and uh, I won't take a call unless I really really need to and you know nothing's gonna nothing what's the worst that's gonna happen you yeah. can return it tomorrow but I, I'm lucky I have the ability to you know forward some of the calls to my team for them to handle some of those things mm. Mm. I should have noticed in another interview, you're an early person, is that still still saying? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's gotten a bit earlier now. Um, so, yeah, so I wake up at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. Yeah, um, so well, I'll give you my morning routine. So I wake up at 3, I'll meditate for about 10 or 15 minutes. Sure. Um, I'll then go to the gym, I'll train, um, and then I'll come to work. And typically at work between sort of 5.30 and 6, most mm. days. Wow, that's early. What, what time do you go to bed then? Uh, nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. That's early. What, what, but what drives you to wake up? Because not many people have that desire to wake up that early. Yeah. That yeah. Early. People always say to me, "You must have always been an early riser." But I wasn't always an early riser. I yeah. just I trained myself to be that way. Yeah. So basically, um, I used to wake up. I can't remember what time it was. Probably like six thirty. And then each month, I peeled that back fifteen minutes mm. until I actually got comfortable with waking up earlier. And look, you fall off the porch a little bit, so you know it started to feel about fifteen minutes, and then I sometimes couldn't wake up, so I just stayed on that time for for quite a long time, and then mm. um, my body became accustomed to it, and I just kept on peeling it back. You know what getting drives me to wake up at that time? Look, a yeah. lot of things. Like I think that when I was in sales, I realised that I needed to do more, mm. so I didn't have the skill. I was still learning. I didn't have the experience. The one thing I knew I needed to do was just outwork everyone, mm. and that's probably the only one thing that anyone that can do anyone mm. can go and outwork someone else so I, I knew that was something tangible that I could actually handle uh, so that's just what I started doing so I just started mm. waking up earlier um, my health was always has always been very very important to me I've always trained and always looked after my health and as I got busier I noticed that uh, health was never going it was never was never second but it was getting to the point where if I wanted to do more hours I'd need to sacrifice something and I thought to myself that I'll just sacrifice a little bit of the sleep so I just train myself to, again, go back to having more quality over quantity of sleep. Mm. Um, so I read a book, Why, Why Do We Sleep? Um, I can't remember who it, was, who it was by, but they were talking about quality of sleep and the things that you can do prior to going to bed to ensure your quality is kept high. Sure. Um, so that was being the really dr main driver. I wanted to work harder than anyone else. So I realized I needed to actually uh, get to bed earlier and also wake up earlier. Sure, I'll, I'll give you some common sales questions next what's your strategy for listing and making sure there's no errors between when you get the listing to when it settles um, okay so we have a checklist that we follow our, our mm. business is built on checklists mm. absolutely everything that gets done within our business there's a checklist for it mm. so if a new staff member comes in and wants to know how do I negotiate this deal mm. there's a checklist, checklist for it which all the dialogue and the step-by-step -step process um, same for when the property gets listed to when mm -hmm. it gets sold through to settlement. Um, we now use a virtual checklist called Process Street. Mm -hmm. um, so you can put all your tasks in there. You can assign it to people. Uh, you can put due dates on things as well. Mm -hmm. So anytime something went wrong or goes wrong within our business, if it is something that's going to continue to go wrong, we mm -hmm. put it into a form, a checklist or a system. Okay. What about a uh, listing campaign? Let's say reach the amount of maximum buyers 
and you don't know how to get more buyers for the property. How else would you uh, get that campaign to go to get it going again? Uh, look, pricing is really the main thing. Yeah, mm. if you're on the market for a couple of weeks and you haven't had an offer, it's just your, your pricing's probably out. Mm. Um, but usual marketing stuff around photography and good videography now is pretty mm. important, especially with COVID. Um, but apart from that, just going back through our old buyers in terms mm -hmm. of other properties that we've sold in the past, we do that before properties go to market anyway. So mm. we've usually exhausted those options, but we're very, very fastidious around cross-selling. So if a buyer calls us about a property, we'll see what other listings we've got and we'll just send them all the other ones that we've got that are relevant to them. But how would you deal with a difficult vendor that might not lower that price? How would you handle that situation? Um, look, we don't really force owners to lower price. We're just mm. honest with them. Um, mm. So daily communication is something that's important to us. So every mm. single day our owners will hear from us, whether it be email, text or call. Mm. Um, we're sending them properties that have recently sold or recently come onto the market. Yeah. So if there's a sale down the road, that's usually the easiest way to what we would call educate a vendor, mm. uh, especially if it's comparable to theirs and it sells mm. for less than theirs. Mm. Um, if another one comes on the market, then we show them that there's competition for their place as well. Um, buyer feedback, so weekly reports, yeah. we send them out to the owners and that usually does the heavy lifting for us because mm -hmm. it paints a picture of who's interested, even if they're not interested, what the price feedback is. Yeah. Um, and the easiest way to um, get an owner to understand what the true value of a home is, just get mm -hmm. an offer. Mm. So no offer, no decision is what I say. Be as transparent as possible? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, mm. look up. The owners want to get sold, they yeah. hire you to do a job. There's no point beating around the bush and not telling them what they need to hear. Sure. Be candid about it, but just be honest. If it's not, if you're wrong about pricing, just tell them, hey, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Yeah. Okay. No, thank you so, um, so much for joining me today about all the questions. That's all right. I appreciate you being here.